we can have business people, we can have politicians, we can have government people, whatever, general public, say, you know, this is what we want things to be. But it it doesn't matter. What the marketplace wants is what is actually going to happen. So as a business owner, you got to say, I got to be on the right side of history here. I got to follow where the marketplace is going. Otherwise, I'm going to be out of business. You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Ballou. And I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, do we have a real treat for you on today's episode. We have as our very special guest, one of my mentors. I am speaking of none other than the living legend himself, Bill Bishop, the author of the best-selling book, How to Sell a Lobster. Welcome, Bill. Well, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to How have you. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're, it's great to have you on the show. Awesome, yeah, awesome, thanks for awesome. Yeah. Well, listen, Bill, just for the benefit of the folks listening to the show who have uh, yet to hear of you, could you just uh, walk people through your story and how you came to be this unbelievable expert when it comes to branding and marketing and positioning and selling yourself? Okay. Well, my uh, company is called The Big Idea Company. So what we do is help entrepreneurs uh, come up with big ideas to grow their business. And I've really been doing this, uh, well, I hate to admit it, but maybe 40 years now, uh, ever since I was uh, a teenager. I I was working uh, at a restaurant as a waiter. And this is when I came up with my first big idea. And they had this contest to try to get the waiters to sell more lobsters. So this was a steak restaurant, and they wanted us to get the people to buy a steak and a lobster for their meal. So there was this contest, and I I was uh, trying to figure out how can I sell these people a lobster. The management told me just to use suggestive selling, just to go and uh, when they ordered their steak, say, hey, you want to have a lobster with your steak? But after uh, three weeks of doing that, I'd only sold four lobsters and I was in last place. So things weren't looking good. As a matter of fact, they were gonna they were gonna fire the person who came in last place. So I really had to think of something. But what happened was I came up with what I now call a big idea. And over the next six weeks, I sold 1,400 lobsters. And I won the contest hands down. The, the second person sold 90 lobsters. And of course, everybody wanted to know, how, how are you doing it? You know, And I never told anybody because it was a contest. I didn't want to give them my secret. And then I just kind of forgot about it for a while. And then about 2000, I uh, decided that this was kind of an interesting story. And I wrote a book called How to Sell Lobster. And in the first chapter, I explain how I actually did that. And that book, has we've sold well over a million copies now. It's uh, published in 25 countries. It's been translated into 12 languages you know, that, that's been kind of a crazy thing. I never thought that was going to happen because uh, in a lot of ways, it's a very simple story, but it's very, very powerful. 
so you're probably all wondering how I sold it. Do you guys Absolutely. want to know how? We're hanging on the edge of our seats how here, I Billy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, the, the key thing is I realized that it was that when it, that happened, uh, it kind of set me on the course to becoming a, uh, what I call now a big idea coach, like helping people coming up with these kind of things for themselves, right? And what happened was, you know, initially I was just saying, hey, do you want to have a, a lobster with your steak? And people didn't like that because it, they thought I was being kind of pushy and, you know, trying to sell them something. And they just all said no. Even if some of them wanted a lobster, they just didn't like the way I was presenting it to them. So instead, what I did was I went up to them and I said, listen, you actually have a choice here. Uh, you can have something basic or you can have something more interesting. So the basic thing is you can just have the steak. But if you want the more interesting thing, we have this special tonight, and it's a steak and lobster. And that's all the only thing I did differently. And practically everybody after that ended up wanting to buy the lobster. So that was amazing. And I didn't really think about it too much of why it was working. I was just happy it was working. But over the years, I've looked back on that and said, well, okay, well, now why did that work better? And there's some very powerful lessons to be learned from that. So the first one is that uh, people don't actually buy products and services. They actually buy ideas. Doesn't matter what product you've ever bought in your life or any service you bought, you always bought the idea that was attached to it. You didn't actually buy the thing itself. So, for example, when I was initially saying, hey, you want to buy a lobster, they didn't like that idea. They thought I was being a pushy salesperson, so they said no. But when I said it was a special, they liked that idea. They thought, oh, well, if we order that, then we'll be special, and the dinner tonight, the birthday party or what have you, will be special too. So the, the lesson was all I did was take a simple word, special, and that created all kinds of perceived value in the mind of the customer. It didn't change anything else. I just changed the idea that was attached to the product, and that made people buy it. That's why I've created the big idea company, because I, I look at what people are doing, and I go, you know, you've got a great product, you've got a great service maybe. That's not your issue. The issue is what is the idea that's attached to what you're selling? And most people are not even thinking that way. They're not, they're not psychologically minded, and yet that's what is going on uh, in the marketplace. That There's an idea they're putting out there, and they might not even be aware of what it is. Now, the other lesson is, in most cases, the idea that people put out there about their business is relatively basic uh, thing, like it's not anything super interesting. And second, it's this, uh, primarily the same idea that all your competition are putting out there. So that's when people fall into what I call the, uh, the problem with penguins, which was another book that I wrote. And it's about differentiation. So when people have an idea that is like everyone else's, that makes it really hard for you to stand out from your competition and convince people that they should buy what you have as opposed to someone else. So, so that's a really powerful thing. The, the, other, the other lesson that I learned from it 
was that you'll always sell more when you give people a choice. So I gave them a choice. I said, you can have something special or sorry, something basic, or you could have something more interesting, something special. So, you know, basic or special. And once they're given a choice, then they feel empowered. So by giving them that choice, I empowered them to make a decision. And, you know, the interesting thing about it is that once somebody has given you power, it's not any use to you unless you use it. So what happens is when you give your customers or prospects a choice and empower them with that, they're going to want to act on that and buy something, even if it's the basic thing. So that's the other lesson. It's like you give them a choice like that, you're going to sell more. And the third lesson was that a lot of people actually want to buy something that's more expensive because we tend to be in our business, especially if we're selling something basic, that we're in a price competition. So we think that we got to keep getting the price down and we miss a completely other opportunity, which is actually sell them something really expensive because not everybody wants the cheapest thing. So an example of that is Starbucks. When they um, came up with the idea for Starbucks in, say, 1990, a cup of coffee was about 50 cents, typically. And they said, well, we're going to get people to pay $5 for a cup of coffee. That's 10 times more. And everybody said, well, that's crazy, because why would anybody pay 10 times more for a cup of coffee? But nowadays, people line up, including myself, every day to pay $5 or more for a cup of coffee. So not everybody's looking for the cheapest coffee, but most companies never figure that out. They never figure out, how could I sell something much more expensive? They don't even think about it because they think, well, nobody would ever pay it anyway. So those are the three lessons. One is that people buy ideas. They don't buy products and services. So you want to make sure you have the right idea. Two, people will buy more if you give them a choice because it empowers them. And three, that a lot of people will actually buy something from you that's much more expensive than what you're currently pricing what you're doing. So those are huge opportunities for people. Massive opportunities, exciting opportunities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, that, so that's, you know, that's why over the last... 30 years in my business, uh, we've worked with about 5,000 companies and we've helped them come up with what their big idea is. And we've seen over and over again that when they have that, uh, it makes all the difference. It's like having that big idea is the most powerful strategy in their whole business because it just changes everything. That's brilliant. So, you know, one of the things that we promote in this podcast is the business end of thought leadership. So clearly, Bill, you've got a fantastic story and great thought leadership, but you've translated it into a successful business. Could you give our listener a sense of how you go about doing that? How is this amazing expertise and message that you have been translated into dollars and cents. So what are the programs that you offer, speaking engagements, et cetera? How's that all that work for you? Yeah. Okay. So, so there's a, a model that uh, we help people 
uh, use, and I, I, it's based on uh, three parts. So uh, teach, coach, and sell. Okay, so teach, coach, and sell. Now, when I started out in my business, I was selling marketing products, so websites, uh, brochures, graphic design, writing services. So I was selling those things. But the problem was it was very commoditized. There was a lot of competition. A lot of people said, you know, they could do it cheaper than us, you know. So we were always fighting that. We really weren't standing out, right? So this is uh, going back many, many years. And I uh, thought, you know, I really need to be the expert. We need to be seen as the experts, not just somebody that does a job, right? So I didn't have that terminology thought leader. I don't think that was really around then, but that's what I was uh, saying, right? We need to be a thought leader. So what we had to do was come up with a big idea for doing that. And in, in my case, it was actually having a big idea. That was the, my big idea is the big idea, which sounds confusing, but <laughs> that's what it is. So I thought, okay, now how do we package that? So what I did was, uh, this is back in 1995, I wrote a book about internet marketing. Uh, it was called Strategic Marketing for the Digital Age, and um, HarperCollins published it. What happened was, was fascinating. It took me about a year to get that book written and out there, but the moment that it was out there, I was immediately the expert, and in that case, the expert in internet marketing and so on, and I was invited to speak at all kinds of conferences. I went all over the world. I went to the Middle East. I went all kinds of places. And I got up there and talked about stuff that I had already been talking to my clients about for years. But now I was the perceived expert or thought leader in that market, right? So we realized, okay, so teaching, step one, was the key. So when I would give those talks, I wouldn't be trying to sell my programs or anything. I would just be um, trying to communicate and educate people, right? But after that, they'd come up to me, they'd say, well, you know, you obviously are the expert, you know a lot of stuff. We want you to help us do those things in our business, right? So, so I realized, okay, from now on, the way I market myself is I teach people things. And there's more, a lot of different ways you can do that than just having a book, of course. But having a book was a fabulous uh, start, right? So since then, I've written nine books, uh, business books, and they've all helped me um, be out there as the expert. So that's the, the teaching part. Now, the next part was how do I monetize this even more than just selling them my, you know, commodity products, right? So we went to the coaching side, the next step. So what we did was we created a program. So that's called the Big Idea Adventure. So I tell people, I said, if you like what you've heard here, then you should sign up for our program called the Big Idea Adventure. It's a coaching program. Now, one of the key things there is that's different from a consulting program, okay? So coaching, in my mind, is that we're actually helping people do something themselves. So what I do is I help people come up with their big ideas. I help them package their big ideas. I help them get them out there, but I'm helping them do it. Whereas in a consulting business, I would be telling them what to do and then, you know, giving them reports and say, here, this is what you should do and good luck. You know, um, that's not it. That this was a coaching program. Now, 
when I started it, most people didn't believe that anyone would pay for it because a lot of this stuff in the industry, marketing industry, people had been giving away for free for, you know, decades, right? And I said, no, not really. They haven't been, they've just been selling. They haven't really been coaching. So what we did was we just said, okay, initially, we're just going to do this with our clients and, and they'll get it for free. So we gave them that program for free and we ended up selling them a lot more things. But the, uh, after that, we started charging for it. And we didn't charge a lot initially for this coaching program, which was really a series of brainstorming sessions. We didn't charge a lot, but we kept charging more. And now, um, you know, we charge anywhere from $2,500. We have three programs, $2,500, $7,500, and $14,000. So we have these three programs. And, you know, we've had over, you know, 1,500 people do this particular program. The one that everybody said no one would pay for. Okay. So, so now we have the teaching, so the books and various, you know, speaking I do and so on. Then we have the coaching big idea adventure program. And it's, you know, a series of stages and there's a fee for it. Now, the interesting thing is that then we get the selling. So all the traditional things that we had always sold, well, we still do. And the members of our programs buy way more of that stuff now than they did before. And we don't necessarily do all of them. We have other companies as well that help us. You know, we get commissions for sending our members to those people. So those are the three steps that if you're thinking of being a thought leader and really wanting to put it together, you have the teaching part, then you have the coaching part, a program of some kind, and then you have all of your products. I, I call that the value hub. So you have a value hub of all kinds of products that you sell your the members of your program. So, so that's a lot of detail there at one time, but that's, that's kind of how we did it. Wow, I love the detail. It's a lot of detail, but you put it in a, a very easily understandable format, which is, I think, part of your your success, Bill, is you have a great way of telling stories and helping people understand the concepts in really simple, simple terms, but powerful terms. Now, you've been at this a while, and there's some things that you would have seen work back in the 90s. What's, what has not working anymore, and what should people be focused on now? Right. Okay. That's a great question. Uh, because my, my latest book uh, is called The uh, New Factory Thinker. And uh, what uh, we've concluded is that the uh, marketplace today is changed on a fundamental level. It's, it's completely different than it was during the Industrial Revolution, the, the 200 years of the Industrial Revolution. There was a certain kind of marketplace. And now we're living in a completely different one. And in order to be successful, uh, we have to change the, our way of thinking. So I, I make the, the contrast between old factory thinking, uh, which I'll discuss in a second, and then new factory thinking, which is a new way. Okay, So there really are three problems out there that are being caused by technology, by the Internet, uh, just by the, all the changes that are happening, even the political changes 
that happened last week, right? These are all part of a bigger picture. And I, I like to think of it as the three Ds, the three Ds, differentiation, disruption, and delusion. So differentiation, I've talked about a little bit, the penguin problem. So in this day and age, if you're selling uh, essentially a commodity, there, it's very difficult to differentiate. You know, if you type in a product, like you know, I had a guy, environmental, environmental consulting company, I said, well, I'll type that in Google and see how many I get. And there were 314,000 competitors that I found. So he, he, he was worried about differentiation. So everybody has that issue. The second one is disruption. There are so many forces that are at play right now that are disrupting the traditional businesses. We have all this technology. We have uh, learning computers, the sharing economy. We have all kinds of other new technologies, robots, 3D printers, you name it, you know, apps and everything. This is really disrupting all the traditional businesses. Um, and the third one was delusion. And the delusion is, is that this won't affect me. This won't affect my, it might affect everybody else's industry, but it's not going to affect us. And, and that we can just continue doing the same old thing. And what I've found is that's got to be the worst part is the delusion that it's not going to affect you. So, so those are the three D's. So what the first step is to overcome what I call old factory thinking. And so what I uh, included was that it isn't so much what people are doing. That's the problem. It's how they're thinking. That's the problem. They have a way of thinking about their business that has become obsolete. And what basically that is, is that when they think about their business, they think, oh, I have this product or service. So they say, well, I, I sell hammers. I got a hammer business. And then they set up their business as an assembly line to pump out those hammers and just try to sell as many hammers as they can. And then the goal is to have people consume a lot of hammers. You know, if they have a hammer, they should buy three more or something. You know, they should have four hammers or something. That's kind of the goal, the thinking. And this is what entire world economy is set up to do right now, all over the place. And, you know, in the, ele in the election last week, the people voted for Trump because he said that he would bring back these kind of jobs to middle America, which has been denuded of these kind of factories, right? But the, the thing is, no matter what a politician could do, there's much bigger forces at play. And the bigger forces at play are the emergence of what I call a new factory economy that is within a few years going to be completely take over our global economy. It's already starting to do it. And the, the people running those companies use a different kind of thinking, which I call new factory thinking. And just to keep it simple for this conversation, there's really three ways that they think. Uh, the first one is, instead of trying to sell a product or making their business about a product, their primary first goal is to get members. So they're trying to get a, build up a community of members. A really good example of this is a month ago, I think, uh, LinkedIn was purchased by Microsoft. And Microsoft paid LinkedIn $25 billion. Now, looked at first glance, you go, well, that's kind of crazy. You paid $25 billion for a company 
who do, who has a product that's essentially free. What most most of the members don't pay anything. So why the heck would anybody pay twenty five billion dollars for that? But what Microsoft was trying to do was catch up to Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, who have millions and millions of members. So this is what these companies are doing. They're saying, let's build up a giant community of members. So that's the first step. So relationship is. Then what they do is they create a value hub around those people. So they're not in any particular industry. They're not trying to sell any particular product per se, but they actually are in potentially every industry and they could sell potentially any product. And an example of that would be Amazon, which started off selling books, and now they sell millions of things. You know, I buy my office supplies from them. They're in the grocery delivery business. So they, they are trying to monetize their relationship with their members in any possible way. And, of course, you know, Apple's doing that. Facebook's doing that. Google's doing that, right? Uber is doing that. Now, the third part, which is the most interesting part for me, actually, is that their underlying assumption is not to try to get people to consume more. It's actually to create well-being while helping people consume less. Okay? So, so it's, it's to use less energy, less time, less effort. And by offering those kind of things, they're getting a lot of customers because that's actually what people want. They want to get a better result using less money, less energy, less effort. And this is the, in a way, I call it the tsunami that is coming, but it's kind of invisible to most people. They can't see it, but this is where the world is going. And one of the things I always tell people is, you can think up anything you want with your business, but you don't create your business. The marketplace creates it. So we can have business people, we can have politicians, we can have government people, whatever, general public, say, you know, this is what we want things to be. But it, it doesn't matter. What the marketplace wants is what is actually going to happen. So as a business owner, you got to say, I got to be on the right side of history here. I got to follow where the marketplace is going. Otherwise, I'm going to be out of business. So to explore this new factory thinking is to really look at what all these businesses that are successful and growing in this marketplace and say, what are they doing and how could I do that too? So that's really what we see happening and it's disruptive, but it's also there's huge opportunity, unbelievable opportunity out there. It's exciting. And again, you put it into three simple things that are massive, massive ideas, but tons of opportunity for our listeners to be thinking about where their business is going and are they thinking in terms of the new factory or old factory. No, it's brilliant. Yeah, I'll I'll give you an example because it's also about how we respond to all this, right? So a lot of people with their business, they're kind of scared and angry about disruption, right? So we've seen this in the political world, but it's also happening in businesses. I went to, I gave a talk to a rotary club and I was, uh, I was telling them about this company in, in Toronto. It's called, uh, it's called Feeduck. And what it is, is that if you're trying to sell your house 
you can go on there and it's, you have an auction and the real estate brokers bid on getting your business to sell your house and they bid on it by saying who's going to give the lowest charge the lowest commission so wow. instead of paying a real estate agent six percent you could end up paying them one percent and get the same result but save tens of thousands of dollars right so uh, Sharn, who started the company, the business is just booming, right? People love this idea. But when I was giving the talk, there was a real estate agent in the room, and he was, like, really angry, and there was, like, steam coming out of the top of his head and stuff, <laughs> you know, and he was, like, he was walking out. Like, he got up and walked out, you know, and I said to him, I said, look, don't get mad at me. I didn't come up with the idea. I'm just telling you what's going on, right? But what's other real estate brokers are going, well, I'm going to get in on this. I could get more business. Maybe I get less commission, but I, I might get more business here. So people, you know, people have their choice, right? They can either get scared and angry about all this, or they can go, okay, let's, uh, let's get on board and try to figure out how we can, you know, get in on it somehow, right? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. So, Bill, as we wrap up the episode, we ask each of our experts for their kind of bullet point three expert action steps that they would want our listener who is either a, themselves a thought leader or an expert uh, or an aspiring thought leader or an expert to follow. So what would be your three bullet point expert action steps? Okay, I'll just give you a three of the new factory thinking, pr the process, okay? So think about having, keep your old factory running, like that, don't change that, but just think of it, I'm going to create a new factory. In addition to my old factory, a new factory. So if I'm a taxi company, I'm going to try to think of something like Uber, right? That's the idea. So the way to do that, one, is to say, instead of thinking about what you're trying to sell, think about who you're trying to help. Who do I want to have as members in this community, right? So you might say, well, I want to, I want to have dentists. I want to target dentists. I'd like to get a million dentists into my community. So step one, what is the customer type that you want to create into a community and that and that can be anything right any kind of type so the next thing is to come up with a big idea and the best way to come up with a big idea is to either think about a problem those people have that nobody's solving or a goal a big goal that you could help them accomplish okay so problem might be that let's uh, say dentists uh, let's say they, they have a lot, they lose a lot of employees all the time. So, so then think about ways to help them retain their staff or a big goal might be that like Elon Musk says, we're going to, we're going to get people living on the moon or sorry, Mars, even not even thinking the moon, <laughs> thinking Mars. Uh, we're going to think really big, uh, and try to get people to, you know, live on Mars. So, so something really big, a big problem you're solving or a big goal that you're trying to accomplish, right? So what's that? And that'll, that'll get people really interested in what you're doing. And then the third thing is to say, what would my value hub look like? So I already have certain products already. So if you're selling hammers, fine. But what else could we sell? Well, we could sell screwdrivers or we could sell lumber. But then you can go even farther than that and say, well, what else? Well, we could also sell groceries and we could sell books and we could sell uh, timeshares, you know, like if you have members, they may buy those things too. It could be things completely outside your industry. So if you do those three things, figure out who you're trying to help your customer type, create a big idea, something big problem or a big goal, 
and you create a value hub that goes beyond your industry and what you're currently doing, then you'll start to expand your mind and think you'll start coming up with all kinds of ideas and opportunities for your business. That's fantastic. And you've written nine books. Uh, the yeah. latest one is The New Factory Thinker. So if our folks wanted to pick up a, co- a copy of your books, I assume they're in bookstores. Is there any other place that they can be picked up? Yeah, the best place to find it is in Amazon. Okay. Just go to Amazon, type that in, New Factory Thinker, or type my name in. You'll see all my books there. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being on our episode today. This was great. It was a real treat for me because you've been one of my mentors and you've been a part of my success. And it's just been a real pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, well, thanks a lot. I really always appreciate having an opportunity to tell my story. Thank you, Bill. Okay, take care. You bet. That wraps another episode of the Business of Thought Leadership podcast. You can find all the information about our guest today, Bill, at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com as well. Please subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review, let us know what you think of the show. And until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to the Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening. 